What can we learn from the testimony of slaughterhouse workers? The RSPCA have announced a huge step forward in hen welfare this week, but will it actually improve outcomes for animals? And what percentage of vegans do you think would consider dating a non-vegan? Anyway, that's enough of the falafel. I'm Anthony. I'm Richard. And it's time for episode 10 of Vegan Week. Thanks for joining us for episode 10 of Vegan Week. I'm joined by Anthony here in the studio. Anthony, how are you? Have you recovered from the book launch? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. And yeah, I was delighted to be at the official Bristol University Press launch of Dr. Steve Cook's new book, What Are Animal Rights For? It was a lovely, lovely evening. He was joined in a Q&A by Dr. Catherine Oliver discussing animal rights, philosophy, the future of veganism and lots more besides. I've got my copy of the book ready to read. It's it's not that long. It's 186 pages. So I'm, I'm hoping I can do it in a, in a few hours. It retails at $8.99. You can order it from the Bristol University Press website. It sounds like I'm giving an advert for it. I'm not getting any commission or anything. It was just a really lovely evening. Great people. And uh, the book looks really good. We will do a book review discussion on it at some point very soon, hopefully, once I've had a chance to read it. So I'll put a link in the show notes for those of you who want to read it before we review it next month. That sounds fantastic. I really can't wait to read it. Okay, on to this week's episode... You might have tuned in today to hear us discuss the new short film, Nowhere to Run. The 20-minute film focuses on three slaughterhouse workers who give their accounts of the industry. That will be our main discussion topic today, coming up in the second half of the show. Yes, but in every episode of Vegan Week, we always make the first section of our show a rundown and commentary of our top 10 vegan news stories from the week. Enough of the falafel, let's go. Okay, we have selected 10 news stories that have been released in the last seven days or so, all of which relate to veganism, animal rights or outcomes for animals. Is there any better place to start than with Farming UK? (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) No. RSPCA Assured unveils new welfare standards for laying hens. So yeah, RSPCA Assured have unveiled new welfare standards for laying hens to be introduced next year with farmers then given a further six years to implement them. The the main headlines, I guess, are that verandas and natural daylight requirements are amongst the incoming changes. The RSPCA say it regularly reviews and updates all of its standards for different species in consultation with the farming industry. So let's hear what they have to say in a bit more detail. Dr. Kate Norman, who is their poultry specialist, said that the new laying standards were a huge step forward for hen welfare. Two of the key new standards are the introduction of verandas for barn members. Barn members, I mean, for goodness sake, that's what they're calling them. Oh, we're members of a barn. No, 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 we're a chicken about to be slaughtered needlessly. Sorry. (laughs) I'll keep focused. And the new requirements for natural daylight for both barn and free range members, which will come into force in 2030. Just in case any of you are wondering, a veranda, it's if, if you, I did a Google image search, but basically it's an additional roofed 
but uninsulated structure attached to the outside of a poultry building, which has a fully littered floor. So it's kind of like an extra room, but it's not insulated. And it often has natural daylight coming in. And this this is apparently a huge step forward. So sad that that this hasn't been the case up until now. Alongside other key welfare improvements, verandas provide barn hens with access to natural daylight and an outdoor climate. Dr Norman explained that there were farmers in the UK and Europe that had already successfully installed verandas or were considering investing in them. This is this is the state of things in UK animal agriculture that a farmer considering investing in a veranda is seen as like this amazing high welfare standard. It's why we're the best in the world, apparently. What a load of old tosh. She went on to say, when looking at the European farms and research, we discovered that including a veranda resulted in a reduction of the daytime stocking density in the main house. This has welfare benefits such as promoting preening, dust bathing and foraging behaviour and reduces feather damage. The natural daylight coverage must correspond to at least 3% of the total floor area of the house. Dr Norman added, natural daylight is not something that is commonly given to laying hens in the UK, but giving them natural light provides many welfare benefits. Just to finish off, it's worth noting that turkey and broiler producers under the RSPCA Assured Scheme are already required to provide natural daylight inside the house. I mean, Rich, I've I've not exactly concealed how I I feel about this, it's it's so tragic that these things are seen as news and 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 great victories and great steps forward, isn't it? I know. I mean, is this a victory? Really? I mean, it makes you wonder if the RSPCA in any form is afraid of these industries because, come on, this is not a win. This is just pretending we're doing things better when, in fact, their destiny is the same, their fate is the same. And, come on, does that really improve that much, their quality of life? I mean, hopefully one day we get to a a future where pretty much everyone or everyone is avoiding using animals for for, for their own means. And I just think looking back from from the future to, to this day, to this week in time, the RSPCA, who's supposed to be looking out for the welfare of animals, has said, we'd like it if you gave over 3% of these animals' homes to natural daylight but you've got six years to put that in place. Like that's how much we care about animals in 2023 that the the, the national organisation who's supposed to be looking after them is saying, could you make this tiny change in the next six years or so if you feel like it? It's, It's tragic. It's embarrassing. Honestly, it's embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Because we're talking here about this This gives even more arguments for people to say, no, no, I consume, they won't say animals. They will say, I consume chicken that's been brought in the best possible conditions without really understanding what those conditions are. And again, we're talking, what, 2030? Mm. That's a far, <laughs> that's a long way in the future. How many chickens will have been killed? in six years yeah i'll find that stat and give it next next week maybe yeah but it's okay rich because in in six years time three percent of their accommodation because they're barn members remember it makes it sound like they're choosing to live there as well oh i'm a member of a community yeah such a load of rubbish let's move on before this podcast just becomes us both being just really angry yes please so another another story from our subscription to farming uk (laughs) hundreds of dairy farmers quit sector amid amid falling milk prices 
Yeah, so in a survey of major milk buyers, it was estimated that there were about 7,500 dairy producers in Britain as of October 2023. Now, that figure is significant because year on year, this is an estimated decline of about 350 dairy producers. So it's dropped by nearly 5% in just one year. Interestingly, if you read into that data even further, there's not actually been a change since April of this year. So the last six months have actually been consistent. But in the previous six months, there's been this 5% drop. Uh, A major driver in the fall has been milk prices. In September, the UK average milk price stood at 36 pence per litre, which is a drop of almost 13 pence compared to last year. So that's nearly a 25% drop in price for this quote-unquote product that's quite staggering paired along this farm costs such as energy fuel feed and fertilizer remain historically high which farming uk attribute to another reason why people might be leaving the sector here's a telling quote from freya shuttleworth of the agriculture and horticulture development board when discussing this drop in milk price and, and how it might have led to people leading the industry. She said that with high milk prices in the latter part of 2022, many farms pushed their cows for increased yields to maximise benefits. How very thoughtful of them. Like I'm, I'm sure the cows were delighted with that. I mean, Rich, with, with quotes like that, it's, it's hard to feel sorry for, for people feeling like they need to change their jobs. But that aside... Do you think this is how we want the vegan movement to develop? Like people having to jump ship from from animal agriculture, so to speak, or, or would would we prefer that the transition goes about in a in a different way? What are your thoughts? Um, on the one hand, we all want people to change because of ethical reasons. However, it seems like economical reasons might be the trigger that make people change. And I'm not talking about the consumer might might be the the case for them but certainly for the producers. It's not the way we want to see it, but at the end of the day, we want to see it. And Mm. we need to dig into what are the reasons why the price is declining. And we need to also know, even if 350 dairy producers have um, reported um, this, that, that they're closing, how many less cows does that mean? Is it because intensive farming is going up? or intensive dairy producers are going up yeah absolutely and and in in, in a sense they're they're almost completely separate numbers aren't they because the, the the volume of milk that's being produced can be produced by any number of farms it could be produced by one farmer technically couldn't it but it's maybe a sign that that the industry is showing strain i mean the, the thought i had was well actually 95 percent of dairy farmers are still still doing it aren't they so it's Things aren't so critical for them that everyone's jumping ship, but it's it's maybe a sign that that the industry is under strain. And also because of the comment that um, Freya said that uh, many farms are pushing their cows for increased yield. If we relate that to the previous story, so on the one hand we see that welfare is only in place when it's economically viable. If not, yeah. we do not take into consideration the animal. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, welfare is certainly not the, the the cornerstone of the industry, is it? When you've got, I, I think the thing that really struck me with that quote is it was just a throwaway quote that's just in the middle of an article. It wasn't seen as something shocking. It was just like, oh yeah, last last year the um, the milk price was high, so we we pushed the cows a bit harder than normal. It's it, it, like if if you're just willing to to make statements like that off the cuff. That suggests to me, 
a real cultural lack of care for these animals. They're just machines. They're just a means to an end. Absolutely. Okay, should we move on to a different source of news? This one is from The Guardian. Animals to be recognised as sentient beings and the proposed Victorian cruelty laws. Yeah, the phrase Victorian cruelty law kind of made me double take. It doesn't doesn't mean like the 1890s. It, it means the state of Victoria in Australia, just for clarification. So Victoria could become the first Australian state to recognise that animals are sentient beings under a draft overhaul of cruelty laws to be released in the coming weeks. Now, Guardian Australia has been told that a long-awaited draft of the Animal Care and Protection Act will be released for public consultation next month before a final bill is tabled in Parliament next year. Now, these new protections are expected to cover more species, including octopuses, squid, cuttlefish, lobsters, crabs and crayfish. Under the plan, new laws would explicitly recognise such animals as sentient, meaning they are capable of feelings such as pain and pleasure. Now, under the Victoria government's proposal, new care requirements would also be introduced, including minimum standards to guide nutrition, physical environment, health and behaviour interactions. This would take in pets, animals on farms and those kept in zoos with a new offence to be created for owners who fail to provide the requirements. Now, just for background information, several other jurisdictions have explicitly recognised animal sentience in law. These include Denmark, France, Greece, New Zealand and, and in the US, the state of Oregon and Washington DC. It's also a condition of Australia's free trade agreement with the UK that animal sentience is recognised. Unsurprisingly, and unfortunately, the move could face opposition from the Victoria Farmers Federation, who during consultation have sought assurances from the government that such recognition doesn't equate to granting animals human-like legal rights or emotions. Rich, Farmers are not doing themselves any favours this week, are they? Like the, no. the last story, we've got them over over milking cows because the price is right. Now they're seeking reassurance that no, no one's suggesting that animals have emotions, are they? That aside, this looks promising, doesn't it? So there's two things I find very interesting here. First of all, the fact that they're denying any type of emotions, sentience, anything but you know, that can be human-like. They're denying that. On the other hand, as we discussed a couple of weeks earlier, or last week, I can't remember now, all the, or many of the ads, portray animals as very human-like. So we are engaged with them and we think, oh, that happy cow that moves and behaves like a human. I, I think there's a bit of cognitive dissonance there going on. The second thing I wanted to say is that it's not a surprise and this shows that really they're just pure commodities and it's very sad that to this day they're saying, oh, animals do not feel anything, do, do not have any emotion. Just that simple fact, that that's horrendous. Yeah, it is. I mean, personally, I feel quite optimistic here. As the story stated, there's a lot of other countries and states across the world that recognise animal sentience. Of course, that doesn't translate into a completely, quote unquote, cruelty free culture. But it's a, it's a starting point, I would argue. And in fact, this plan, it's 
it's got proposed penalties that are quite harsh, which if if our story from a month or so ago in Spain is anything to go by, suggests that the government and the culture is taking it seriously. So we're looking at penalties of up to 240,000 Australian dollars for individuals or five years jail or $1.2 million for organisations and could be held before a judge or jury. My hunch is that this will go through. So it, it said in different words, the government will collect penalties from the subsidies they're giving to that industry. Isn't it weird? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Well, would would they? Or would, the, would they be damages that would be paid to the victims? Who are the victims here? I, I, I would put it to you, Rich, that in a just and equitable world, the fines and penalties for abusing animals would be paid either in compensation directly to those animals or at least to a charity that advocates for those animals or, or, or something like that. That would be the just and equitable way of doing it. I, I'm, I'm not naive enough to think that would be the case here, but that, that probably should be how it is. I would argue anyway. What do you think, listeners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let us know what you think. Enough at the falafel at gmail.com. Yeah, but no, I've got my fingers crossed for this one, I've got to say. Good. Okay, what about if we move to something completely different now? From vegan food and living, Moby slams dark side of meat and dairy industry in provocative new music video. Yeah, so this is the latest music video released by Moby. He's done a he's released a reworking track of Cream's We're Going Wrong. It's about two and a half minutes long. We've put a link in the show notes for you to have a look at it. To describe the video, it's 2D animation. It's sort of quite cartoony, I suppose. And it's quite simple. It just has a a mother cow and and their their child, a calf together and then the mother is taken away and it's it's done in quite a sentimental moving way and then we have a scene where the the calf goes to be taken by some very thuggish looking men the calf then runs away and the video ends with them both uh, in cow heaven by the by the looks of it they're sort of up in the clouds and reunited together it's quite a, a sad song and the mu- the the lyrics to the song are, are basically saying we're going wrong i i opened my eyes today and i noticed that i was that, that we were doing things wrong we were going about things the wrong way in a statement about the video moby said i try whenever possible to use my platform to address the tragic horrors of meat and dairy production i believe the animated video for we're going wrong does this in a heartbreakingly poignant way so the question is rich do you agree? Yes, yes, I agree. And just let me say on the side note that I have deeply admiration for Moby. He's doing some wonderful things. He's very outspoken. He does not lose the opportunity to advocate for animals. So from here, if you're listening to us, all my admiration to you. But yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I completely agree with the sentiment you've just said in terms of not missing an opportunity to promote animals. I really enjoyed, he did like a hour and a half documentary earlier in the year showing the history of punk rock and its links to veganism. Great movie. I'd really recommend watching that. I like the start of this video. The second half of it, for me, I get that you can, you know, use artistic license to express things, but there was part of the video where the, the calf, the baby cow, 
was approached by three guys in masks carrying baseball bats who then chased the calf like across a four lane motorway and and it it just it just started looking a bit hyperbolic and and my feeling was like do you know what we don't have to make stuff up that's that's going on like the the the, the reality of the dairy industry is is horrid enough i don't know i just felt i, I think go on you know what that reminded me have you seen the video of that uh, calf or cow that was in might have been california mm. i can't remember where it was and people were hunting down that animal that reminded me of that video so i don't know if that's there yeah because of that yeah maybe um, i saw the similarity at that at that moment i obviously i don't know if that's the purpose yeah yeah, maybe. And like, you know, I, I'm not really criticising it. I'm just giving my, my opinion. I think anyone doing any work to promote animal welfare and, you know, outcomes for animals ha- has my support. But I, I did feel that, that that second half of the video almost opened the door for people who aren't yet vegan to say, well, it's fine because I get my milk from farms where there aren't men with baseball bats chasing calves around I don't know. That bit wasn't wasn't for me, but great that great that the animal rights message is getting out there in in another platform, another arena that it wouldn't ordinarily do so. I went to see Moby, gosh, years ago now, two thousand and five. Really? Yeah, twenty years ago, nearly long before I was uh, vegan and and just before I was vegetarian, actually. And even then, back in two thousand and five, he gave some space in the lobby of the it was the Brixton Academy I went to to watch him and there was space given over to animal rights activists they had tables with leaflets and stuff like that so yeah he he doesn't miss an opportunity and this this video is another example of it for my taste I think there could have been I think there'd be a few things I would change myself but credit credit to him for for advocating there okay on to three studies and surveys now my god Okay, firstly, from the Physicians' Committee for Responsible Medicine. Vegan diet with soy significantly reduces hot flashes in postmenopausal women. Yeah, so last week we were talking about breastfeeding and uh, the military, two areas of specialism for us. Now we're talking about postmenopausal women, Richard, and uh, another area of specialty for us. On a serious note, I have never seen a study focusing on plant-based eating with such dramatic results. So listen to these numbers. So according to this new study by the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, a low-fat vegan diet that includes soy fosters changes in the gut microbiome that decreases postmenopausal vasomotor symptoms, otherwise known as hot flashes, overall by 95%. That's an absurdly high number. A vegan diet also eliminated severe hot flashes, led to a 96% decrease in moderate to severe hot flashes and reduced daytime and nighttime hot flashes by 96 and 94% respectively. So basically it got rid of them is what this study seems to be showing, which is 
incredible. The study also notes that participants lost 6.4 pounds of weight on average. The new research is a secondary analysis of the WAVS trial, the women's study for the alleviation of vasomotor symptoms, and it was published in the journal Menopause. Now, in the original study, 84 postmenopausal women reporting two or more moderate to severe hot flashes daily were randomly assigned to either the intervention group that followed the low-fat vegan diet, which included half a cup of cooked soya beans a day, or they were put in the control group that just continued their usual diet for 12 weeks. Now, despite the fact that the, this study had such stark results, the authors have nonetheless said that larger randomised clinical trials are needed to further investigate these findings. But like I say, I've never seen such a study with, with such stark findings. The, the numbers are unbelievable, Rich. The numbers are unbelievable and show the, the power of soy and the power of plant-based diet. I don't know if you and I are the best ones to talk about this because we're too middle-aged i'm a bit more middle-aged than you but anyway uh so yeah we discussed breastfeeding last week now the monopause what's going on anyway the more studies we have the better we'll understand how a plant-based whole food plant-based diet can really help our health in any stage because it doesn't really matter if you're a kid a woman a man middle-aged it doesn't really matter and on a side note, I wanted to acknowledge the fact that Dr. Neil Bernard, which I think he's the founder of the PCRM, he's just released a, an album, a musical album, which <laughs> it, um, I would recommend because we were talking about Moby before, you know, he also has an album yeah. and he's um, advocating, I'd say, you know, when you see the video clips and all this, the music videos. He advocates for animals too. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, I know it's a side note, but I, I find it very interesting. Yeah, uh, I think what's what really strikes me here is that the last few weeks we've seen studies featuring all sorts of different ailments, health conditions that can be helped by plant-based eating. And whilst I, I'm not somebody who normally advocates for for veganism, for for health as, as as a rule, actually the fact is that if we're seeing evidence that it can help with kidney disease, it can help with diabetes. If we can ha see that it helps with menopausal symptoms, it's just a, a greater chance that we're going to tempt somebody to try it out, aren't we? Because if if you are living with a health condition or living with difficulties with your health, generally speaking you'll try anything to improve it. So providing that the, that the vegan solutions are achievable or perceived as achievable, uh, that's that's really great for animals in, in, in the end, really, isn't it? Um, if, if I may, just one little critique that I, I had of this, and it's just a contextual thing. The study didn't seem to say whether or not people wanted to be losing 6.4 pounds of weight on average. So they said, oh, on average, people lost 6.4 pounds as well. Well, it depends what their starting weight was or whether they wanted to lose it you know for some people losing 6.4 pounds could could really cause them problems so that was the only thing that i'd critique in that but otherwise it's a wholly positive study i'd say yes so moving on anthony do you remember back in episode six we looked at an interesting analysis of the nutrition gained by children following a plant-based diet i do okay it seems the debate is still going on from nutrients journal Debate intensifies over vegan diets for children. 
Yeah, so a, a statement I've often used when when challenged about plant-based eating and, and children is the fact that many major health organisations have stated that a well-planned vegan diet can be healthful and promote growth at critical life stages, infancy, pregnancy, old age, the lot. However, certain paediatric societies are still critiquing these statements. The critics refer to low-quality and outdated studies as well as public health concerns concerning cardiovascular disease, obesity, prediabetes, and diabetes type 2. Now, this journal article has provided a review of different countries' viewpoints. Now, like I say, many state that vegan diets can be healthful, but they do need more planning, but they nonetheless say, yeah, it's fine, you can you can go with this if this is your choice. However, not all countries agree as this this review of studies shows. So the French paediatric profession does not advocate vegan diets for neonatal, paediatric and adolescent individuals. So quite a large group of people, really. They don't advocate it due to the perceived likelihood of nutritional deficits by the absence or lack of adequate supplements. Their neighbouring country, Belgium, their Royal Academy of Medicine issued a short and poorly cited report in 2019 claiming that vegan diets offer dangers to pregnant women and children. This study did by contrast note that only 3% of young Belgian adults ingest the necessary quantity of vegetables. So it seems that children and pregnant vegans are the least of their concerns. There were also studies from Poland, Czechia and Finland, all showing variants between vegan and non-vegan children in terms of micronutrient intake, but it's fair to say that the findings were mixed. So vegan children did better at some things and not others. Rich, it's not easy reading studies that that show how a vegan lifestyle might fall short, is it? It, it can. I find it quite triggering, to be honest. <laughs> no, it, it is very difficult because, first of all, you want these studies to show that the vegan diet is better. So that's the bias we have as... Um, readers of these studies. Uh, the second thing I would say is what we're comparing this to, it's very important that we really look into the studies and see what they're comparing because if someone says no, they can fall short in some nutrients and after we see other kids eating on a McDonald's or having, you know, many issues with the diet that they're provided, makes you wonder what, what we're comparing this to. Are we comparing it to the ideal of what they think people should be eating, what they're really eating? I think we need more studies and probably a meta-analysis of all, of all these studies to have better conclusions. Yeah, I think what this review did really well is it did acknowledge that there is a difference between unfounded advice like for example Belgium they highlighted that and said Belgium doesn't advocate for for a vegan diet for for a lot of groups but actually they don't really back it up with data but then there were studies that showed actually from our cross section of research there are certain nutrients that seem to be coming up as ones that 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 children aren't getting the fact that children aren't getting them doesn't mean that you can't it just means people aren't following it through. And I think that's one of the things that we do seem to see, isn't it? Is that actually, as vegans, we arguably need to be a bit more on top of our nutrition because we're more under the spotlight, because people are going to say, look, you're deficient in that. And I guess we do you think maybe we have to think about it a bit more because the, the way in which we've been brought up isn't naturally saying eat these foods. 
it's saying something else. So in a sense, we're kind of having to reinvent things a little bit. Um, it seems like it. It seems like sometimes we need to reinvent things. Um, it seems to me we're complicating things too much. I'm, I'm sure 100 years ago, people ate what they had on hand, not, you know, because you go to supermarket nowadays and you say, oh, what's the nutritional value of, of this yeah. packet of some food that was, I don't know, produced two months ago? Yeah, yeah. It seems a bit weird how we're moving. But on what you were saying before, that we need to really look at what we eat, it seems that we need to be perfect, and it seems like once we disclose that we're vegan, everyone becomes a dietitian. Yeah, 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 they do, and it's um, I don't know. I, I for me, there's enough evidence out there that that suggests that we can follow this lifestyle in a healthy way if we choose to. I, I'm certainly not somebody that advocates that everyone who is vegan must be healthy like your own health is your own business isn't it if, if you if you don't want to eat healthy foods that's that's up to you like I, I don't think that's up to anyone else to tell you otherwise but th there seems to be enough evidence suggesting that we can do so and I guess there's always going to be studies out there that that say oh this group of people didn't get enough riboflavin or there's gonna you know there's a few vegan children over here b12 yeah yeah and we need to listen to those things because if there's if there's a recurring trend then you know we need to look at how we can advocate for it i mean something like the the vegan society supplement that they do that ticks off so many things that are hard to get you know is is possible to get iodine it's possible to get selenium but it's arguably less accessible than other micronutrients and they've got it in a supplement which seems to tick the box so and vegans are not the only ones that should have supplements no 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 but that that's the other thing it seems like because you're vegan you need to take all these supplements when actually vitamin b12 or other things people might be very deficient regardless of what they're eating because we are we are depriving our soil with the natural nutrient that it should have. Yeah. And therefore, it doesn't really matter what you eat. Our soil is depleted from B12. Yeah, which is why we all need to go out and drink from a few puddles, isn't it? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll try that and I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> okay, let's move on. This is the last of our studies today. And arguably, we could say a bit more of a survey from Vegan Food and Living. 62% of vegans wouldn't date a meat eater unless they're willing to make one change. Indeed, and I wonder if you can guess what that change is. So, this survey was conducted by Vegly, the world's leading vegan and vegetarian dating app. They surveyed 8,000 of their users, finding that a staggering 62% of single vegans would rule out dating an ardent meat eater who would never consider removing animal products from their diet. However... 85% of vegan daters said that they would date an omnivore who is willing to transition to a plant-based diet but may need some help at the start. So, as a result, Vegly has launched a brand new category on its app called Looking for Help. It aims to empower and encourage those wanting to transition to a vegetarian vegan lifestyle whilst helping them find love or companionship. By selecting the Looking for Help category, users show that they're open to the idea of veganism and that they'd like some support in making the switch. Users who already follow a vegan lifestyle can categorise themselves under the Willing to Help category and Vegley says that creating a space where aspiring vegans and vegetarians can connect with like-minded individuals will help build a supportive and understanding community. 
Now, Rich, obviously a very contentious area, very emotive. We could probably spend at least a whole episode on this, if not a whole series. I've got quite strong thoughts on this, uh, quite strong opinions on this, I should say. What are your thoughts? First of all, I do not understand the idea of needing support. While I will admit that it's good to have information and it's good to have a community that supports you in your decisions, at the end of the day, I think we'd all, most of us have access to enough information to make informed choices and go vegan if we feel like we want. Probably I would say it's more about the support of your peers rather than the information out there. And I'm assuming this is what it's referring to. Yeah. However, I don't know if... Uh, a dating app is the best way you could find to transition to a vegan diet. Yeah, I don't know. Ab- absolutely agree with you. I mean, I you know, I don't want to knock people for trying. I don't want to knock people for trying to build bridges because it feels like, in a sense, this is an attempt to build bridges, and I'm really all for that. Like the vegan movement really needs to be a lot better at building bridges with people who aren't vegan yet. However, the start, the formative stage of a romantic relationship. I really don't know whether that is the forum, that is the space, the context to be saying, okay, let's, you know, let's let's add this whole vegan lens in here. Let's let's say that we'll ha- try having a relationship together, but it's predicated on the fact that I'm going to help you change this thing about your your lifestyle. Ob- obviously people can change. People should change. You know, we should all look to to change for the better over our lives. I don't know whether it's putting too sharp a focus on it at the start of a relationship. I mean, I, I know I'm maybe thinking of worst case scenarios, but I can see a relationship becoming quite toxic if it's if it starts off in this way as like one person is better than the other and, and is helping the other one to be better. And that's how it all started. I don't know. It ugh, makes me feel really weird. It sounds a bit strange, if I'm honest. It sounds a bit strange. I don't know. It's uh, You never know how people will change you don't know but yeah from my view it 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 is a bit strange i i wondered as well just in terms of the statistics so 62% of people said absolutely not no i wouldn't do that i'd be very interested to hear what the the proportions would be if you asked people who were already in a relationship you know is is it the case that if you are single and on a dating app and you're you're looking to start a relationship are you more likely to compromise on your ideals are you less likely to and indeed people who are already in relationships i would have thought you'd be more likely to back up the position you're already in so if you're vegan and in a relationship with somebody who's not yet vegan you're obviously going to say well yeah i date someone who's not vegan because you you currently are but equally if you're in a relationship and you're vegan and so is your partner are you far less likely to say well yeah i i i consider dating someone who's not vegan because i imagine your imagination wouldn't be able to see how that would work i don't know i just thought it was the data would really skew depending on who you asked and what their relationship status was perhaps anyway is anyone feeling thirsty if so this might tip you over the edge from stir magazine Turkish company transforms tea refuse into vegan leather. Yeah, so a young Turkish firm is pioneering the upcycling of tea waste by turning it into vegan leather, ethical fashion textiles and other eco-friendly products. It's called waste tea, so W-A-S-T-E-A. Blending the words was 
and tea. It's a sustainable bio-based material that can be used in various product categories from handbags and shoes to automotive upholstery and furniture coverings. They say, our aim is to replace leather, polyurethane and polyvinyl chloride materials with our waste tea product for a better future for the environment and future generations. Up to 10% of all commercially harvested tea leaf eventually becomes waste, according to their CEO. So little or none of the waste from tea is recycled. It's, it's actually either dumped in landfills or incinerated in the vast majority of cases. Turkey itself is the world's fifth largest producer of tea. The crop's a major source of income among people in several of the nation's northern provinces and the sector's workforce is primarily women. So you can see why this company is trying to capitalise on this and, and good on them for doing so. It goes further though, beyond textiles, the company's also developed a new construction material. Yes, you did hear that right, a construction material using tea waste. They call it wasment. I guess that's a play on like cement. The product makes use of the portion of tea waste stream that is not suitable for making the vegan leather. So instead, it's ground very fine, mixed with cement and other elements to make an eco-friendly building material that offers durability, hardness and thermal insulation from heat and cold. Rich, this is surely the definition of entrepreneurship, isn't it? Wow, I'm I'm still, I can't believe it. I, you were reading this story and explaining it and I was like, what? Yeah, yeah it's... Uh... It's quite remarkable, isn't it? It comes to show that, is there anything you can't do with plants? I mean, I'm sure there is, but yeah, we're definitely uh, definitely adding to the list of things you can. <laughs> I know. How would that smell? I mean, if you buy one of those jackets or any um, Honestly, material made of the, the tea? That, that would I genuinely, mean, genuinely be my ideal clothing, I think, if it smelled of tea. Russian caravan tea. Oh, do you like tea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Russian caravan tea or lapsang. To be fair, a lot of my clothes smell of lapsang souchong tea because that's a very smoky tea and I, I work outside near open fires quite a lot. So anyway, sidetracks. Good good on them. And uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so anyone who wants to can follow the link to see the company in more detail. And if someone knows if it can be done with coffee, please let us know because I would buy that one. <laughs> I'm sure it is. We're on to our penultimate story now and a real nice uplifting piece from Plum Base News. Compliment to donate Plum Base meals in No Purchase Necessary campaign. Yeah, so plant based nutrition brand Compliment has announced that it's launching a new No Purchase Necessary campaign to help feed children. For, for the last year, they've donated one meal for every product bought on their website, which of course is fantastic. But for this new campaign, you don't even need to buy anything. All you need to do is to sign up to their newsletter with your email address. And again, We'll put a link in the show notes so you can do so. With every email submitted between the 19th of November and December the 25th, one plant-based meal will be donated. According to Compliment, the meals will be given to kids and families who need them the most. Matt Tolman, their co-founder and CEO, says it's a simple act with a profound impact. There are countless children in developing countries who lack access to basic necessities like food and clean water. Our initiative is about coming together as a community and sharing our blessings with those who need them the most. Now, Complement is a plant-based brand that aims to provide nutrition products to support those on vegan diets. The brand states that it strives to encourage healthier eating habits and reduce the environmental impact associated with traditional food production. 
Rich, my question to you, I mean, obviously this is a brilliantly positive story. No critique there. It's just great stuff. Yeah. My question is, do you think it should be more of a duty of vegan companies to do things like this? Some do, and you do see it a lot, but not all do. And I don't know, like veganism is about compassion. It's about compassion to animals. Well, do we need to see more of this compassion towards human animals from vegan companies? It would be very nice to see. I don't know if economically it's viable. I'd like to think, you know, many companies, vegan companies are thriving and they're able to do these things. Probably most would like to do these things, but just they can't from an economical perspective. So one thing is, would I, would they do it? And probably the answer is yes. Can they do it? Oh, maybe that, you know, it's a bit more tricky. Yeah, of course, I would like to see more companies doing doing that sort of uh, amazing things, compassionate for the humans also. Yeah, absolutely. And like like you say, a lot of vegan companies are financially on a bit of a knife edge, aren't they, at the moment? Like, well, well, like a lot of smaller companies, but I guess vegan companies tend to be smaller startups, certainly in, in our culture at the moment. So it's, it's maybe a bit harder to do so, but credit to these guys for doing it. Good on them. Yeah. Okay, on to our last story now. And as we often do, it's uh, news of a release. In this case, it's a new advert from Peter UK. Tessa the turkey discovers the dark side of festive traditions. Yeah, check the link in the show notes for this YouTube video. It's about a minute and a half long, so it wouldn't take too long out of your day. So Chicken Run star Jane Horrocks voices the leading character of Peter's latest Christmas ad. This ad will be screened across UK cinemas during the next month or so. But Rich and I have had a sneak preview and we've put a link in the show notes so that you can too. So this ad follows in the footsteps of the Peter Christmas ad that he did last year. So that one, again, you can get it on YouTube, an animated short film featuring a turkey showing Christmas traditions, but then focusing on the fact at the end that turkeys are a, a really unfortunate, undeserving victim of an, a needless Christmas tradition that is obviously very brutal. In terms of what happens in this one, like I say, it's only a minute long, so the best thing to do is to follow the link and watch it. But basically, there is a, a turkey who is looking around at the festivities of the season, looking at all the silly traditions like setting the Christmas pudding on fire, wearing Christmas jumpers, singing carols, things like that. They're looking at the they're looking at the traditions and going, oh look, aren't these fun? Aren't these cute? Aren't these a little bit strange and silly? But then the turkey is snatched off the street again by a man who just shoves the turkey in a van drives it off to this slaughterhouse that looks like a haunted house it looks like this horrible scary building and the turkey sees all these other turkeys on a production line being killed it looks like chicken run it, lo it looks like one of those animated films and the film finishes the ad finishes with a, a dark screen that's basically saying ditch the turkey this christmas uh, live a bit more kindly try vegan. Peter says that this dark twist might not seem very festive, but it's the grim reality for the estimated 10 million turkeys who are killed for Christmas dinner each year in the UK alone. Right, Richard, come on then. What did you think? I really like the ad, and I'll tell you why, because I think Peter has have shifted from, say, 10 years ago, where they were using humans to promote veganism and sometimes using not the best methods. And I think now that they're focusing on the animal itself, bypassing humans saying that, 
their campaigns are more effective. So I really liked this one. I think it does, as you say, maybe sometimes when you see a random person grabs the turkey in the middle of uh, the street or, or whatever, it, it looks a bit strange. But I think for people that are looking at the ad, they can relate a lot more to what's happening and to their actions rather than what they were doing 10 years ago. So I would say it's a step forward. What about you? Um, yeah, on the, on the whole, uh, I thought it was really effective. You, you know, it, it takes a lot of skill to grab your attention, to keep you fixed on something like this. I mean, if you look at charity ads from 10 years ago and, and, and you'd see them come up on TV and you'd see a dog or a, a starving child or something looking really sad. And I think a, a large proportion of our population was just conditioned to just look away, turn it off, change the channel. Uh, whereas this this ad, like they've, they've done really well. They've made a song, they've made it animated, it's high paced and it gets your attention. You're invested It's more in engaging. It. It, exactly. So it's really cleverly done. And obviously I applaud the message the sentiment behind it again I'd, I'd, I'd just be interested in in putting two similar ads next to one another one let's say like this one the, the peter ad exactly as it's been done and then another one where instead of going quite so exaggerated and hyperbolic at the end they just show a bit more of the reality of what happens because the reality of of a, a turkey inside a slaughterhouse is horrid. You don't need to make it look like something out of Wallace and Gromit or Chicken Run that's like, you know, it got clunking metal grinders and turkeys going, oh my God, oh my. in this, uh, I mean, obviously that is what happens to an extent, but they've exaggerated it. And and I wonder, again, what, kind of similar to the, the Moby music video we were talking about, I wonder if the exaggeration gives people who want to dissent against the advert an opportunity to go, well, it's not like that. So what I'm doing is fine. That's my only question. And I'd be very interested to see a like for like sort of double blind study to see actually whether that that does impact things. But overall, I was a fan of it. Yeah, in a way, it's saying whether you draw the line between what can be perceived as reality and what will be perceived as science fiction or story, mm. which does not relate to reality itself. And that's, I guess that's a difficult line, because at the end of the day, what you want is people to relate to what's happening to the Turkey with no exaggeration that can mislead and think, oh, that's not really happening. That's not what's going on. So I, I totally... Yeah, I understand your point of view. Yeah, but I, I guess different people are affected in different ways. Some people are more affected by the truth, whereas other people are more affected by, say, a fictional story, but with a message behind it. You kind of almost have to go three sides of a square to 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 get some people to change their minds and their perspectives, whereas other people, you just do one side of a square and they... Sorry, my analogies are not, not particularly hot today, but uh, hopefully you get what I mean. But I guess... I guess the thing to do is to ask the question to our enough of the falafel community out there listening like what what are your thoughts on this story and, and other things from this week's news so is Peter's Christmas out a bit far-fetched or is it a much needed reminder of the atrocities taking place in the in the name of the season of goodwill would you date a meat eater and do studies about infants and plant-based eating reassure you or do they plant a seed of doubt in your mind? Is there anything we've missed? Or is there anything we've got completely wrong? Please let us know your opinions. Indeed, we'd love to hear from you. And just a reminder, if you spot news or articles that you would think would catch our interest, get in touch with us by email at enoughofthefalafel at gmail.com. 
We're also at Enough of the Falafel on Facebook, Instagram or TikTok where you can get little sneak previews on the news we're covering in each episode. Give us a follow if you're into that sort of thing. Welcome back everyone for the second part of the show. This week we are going to review a short documentary produced by Earthling Ed and Surge called Nowhere to Run, Slaughterhouse Workers Confess on Camera. The 20 minute long documentary interviews three ex-slaughterhouse employees from New Zealand, Mexico and the UK. Digs deep into what life is when you kill for a living. It covers how people enter this job, its dangers, the use of alcohol, drugs and and the mental health issues, the animal's perspective and the lifelong burden that these people suffer. The film keeps graphical images to a minimum but does contain some explicit footage. Most of the time is spent, however, interviewing the ex-slaughterhouse employees. The documentary is available for free at surgeactivism.org. We always like to ask a question, so this week we want to ask ourselves, can vegans learn from slaughterhouse workers' testimony? Anthony, I know you are an outspoken animal advocate. We often hear stories from the other side of the slaughterhouse walls or see undercover footage. How how do you think this documentary helps the vegan cause? Well, I mean, for starters, I would say that the short film really moved me. I've watched, I I don't know how many different vegan documentaries over the last 12, 13 years, uh, probably at least 20, I would say. And I felt like it did something that no other film has done for me. I'm not saying it's the best, but it certainly covered things that I've not seen covered before. It touched part of me that, that have not been touched before. And I feel quite confident that it would do the same for other people and I think that the quickest answer to your question in terms of how it would help the vegan cause is I feel there are a lot of people out there who are are not yet vegan or, or don't even feel like there's any any chance that they will become vegan who are not especially moved by the plight of animals animal suffering it doesn't seem to affect them for one reason or another and I can understand that you know, I think especially if you're surrounded by a lot of human suffering, a lot of human issues, I can see why you wouldn't even begin to think about animals. You know, you've, humans have got enough on their plate, so to speak. But I think the focus of this film, for me anyway, was so firmly placed on how atrocious it is for humans to work in slaughterhouses, for humans to make a living by being paid to kill animals, to work in these environments, the the effect it has on them. It was really, really moving. I found it really, really moving. And I think there will be at least a small proportion of people, hopefully not small, hopefully much larger, but there'll be a proportion of people who are not especially moved by animals suffering but can imagine themselves working in a horrific, horrific environment like these three people have and think, gosh, do you know what? For, for me to have a beef burger, somebody has to work in that environment. Like I can imagine a lot of people making that connection and and thinking, my God, that is an awful, awful thing 
that I'm asking somebody to go through in order for my my meat or my milk or my eggs to end up on my plate. And I think for some people that would be enough to make them think, I don't know if I want to make someone do that because I think like like I say, I'm repeating myself now, but there'll be a proportion of people who say, well, animals are here for us to eat. Animals are here for us to consume. And that's their viewpoint. But actually to ask a fellow human to go through that, obviously, and I want to be clear, the suffering is not the same. The suffering is not the same of an animal that's life is about to end versus somebody who is working in in a horrible environment but does get to go home at the end of it but i think it will touch some people in a way that other footage and and documentaries do not yeah my my take on it was first of all what i think it's brilliant about this documentary is that many people can feel intimidated by certain footage and let's face it, there's many documentaries like The Land of Hope and Glory, Earthlings, Dominion, where someone can really barely watch 10 minutes of it. Yeah. What 10 minutes? Maybe five. And will just close the TV, won't be capable of doing it. Or normalize that, become mm. insensitive to it. So I think hearing the perspective of people without the graphical image and understanding that by consuming animal products, you're not only harming the animals, harming the environment, harming your own health, but also you're harming fellow human beings that are doing this job. And the stories they really explain there are heartbreaking. Um, because one of the things that really stood for me was the level of violence and how violence is normalized. I mean, we all have ideas of maybe people uh, in certain communities due to the way they're raised up, the neighborhood they're brought up in. Maybe they're more exposed to violence, they're more exposed to drugs, to alcohol. But for what they were saying, violence is something that's really normalized in those environments. The use of drugs and alcohol is way above the normal percentage of a country or the standard population, let's say. So it really struck to me how we normalize by violence and when you use violence on a daily basis to kill animals you can in a way transcend the animal and just be violent to your partner to other fellow human beings that really really stood up for me yeah that was that was definitely the biggest takeaway for me was the violence point and the fact that you're being surrounded by it and the impact that has and actually i think I don't think I answered your question in my first response because I was talking about actually the impact that this film could have for people who aren't yet vegan, which actually wasn't what you asked. You were saying, what can vegans learn from this? What can the vegan community learn from this? But I think this point about violence for me is it, maybe it's not the biggest point, but it's certainly a big takeaway that I would hope vegans would, would have watching this is actually, if you were to ask somebody who is vegan, what do you think about someone who works in a slaughterhouse? I imagine a lot of people's first response who are, who are vegan would be, well, that's an awful thing to do. Like, I would never do that. And they're ending animals' lives and it's cruel and it's horrible. Whereas I think my response now would be, of course, I still think it's a, a horrific thing to happen to animals. But my feeling about people who work in a slaughterhouse would be, my 
God, what a horrible, horrible thing to have to do. Like, I really feel for you having to be in that environment. And if I was confronted with somebody who who confronted is maybe a, a misleading word. If I met somebody who worked in a slaughterhouse, I think the f- the first thing I would do is just say, I'm so sorry you have to do that. I'm so sorry that that is how you have to spend your day. That must be awful. And I'm, I think I'm glad for the film in kind of helping me feel that way because I feel like that builds a bridge better than going up to someone and saying, how can you do that? what an awful thing or kind of asking them questions like do you have to do this well how does that make you feel you know it really shone a light on how awful that must be and i think that's important for us to remember as vegans not like i say not that we're condoning the ultimate actions but i think feeling some sympathy and and empathy for what people are having to experience every day i think is really important yes it is important because sometimes We tend to be black and white people and we tend to think all people in this category are bad people, have no good stuff in them, let's say. Mm. While this documentary shows otherwise and really it humanises the person that does inhumane things Mm. as perceived as inhumane. And that ability that this documentary has of making sure you know each of the characters, making sure you can go into their mind, how they feel, their emotions, their struggles, it causes people to, it builds relatedness to them. And when you relate to something, it's much more easier to feel compassion about this person and to relate to this person. And I think that for vegans, that really creates the bridge where I'm talking to a human being, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I have a question for you, Rich. Uh, Through looking at the YouTube comments for the video and through looking at at, at some of the, the background that was given towards the end of the video, I think all three ex slaughterhouse workers are now vegan and actively advocate on animals' behalf. It's it's not that Earthling Ed's just met these guys on their way out from work one day and said, fancy coming in the back of my van for a quick interview. Like, that, they have kind of reformed. No, I don't want to use the word reformed. They've changed their job. They've changed their lifestyle. They've changed their perspective on these things. I wonder, do you, do you think, in a sense, that misses an opportunity? I'm not saying that they shouldn't have been interviewed. I very much think they should have done. But the fact that, no one's been interviewed there or no one's been featured other than people who are now ardent animal advocates. I wonder whether that still puts a divide between people who work in a slaughterhouse and then become animal advocates. And then there's everyone else who works in a slaughterhouse but doesn't change and therefore they're evil, they're horrible people. Like that's that's clearly not the case, but is that maybe implied by the film? I wonder if it's very difficult. First of all, I don't think you could do this documentary with people who actually currently working in slaughterhouses. I think that would be very, very difficult, especially because, as per the documentary, many people that work in that industry either live in deprived areas or really don't think they have a choice of finding a different job. I wonder if they would be scared to talk about what happens. I don't yeah. even know if they have to f- sign any 
non-disclosure agreement when you work there i think there's two sides of the being scared as well there's being scared because you might be talking against your employer and and you might be worried that you're going to lose your job your income but also i think there's possibly a deeper fear of having to admit that what you're doing feels wrong um keeps you up at night like sometimes we we really don't like to admit our vulnerabilities and our fears and our worries and our concerns and i think that's probably but in my opinion anyway that would probably be the biggest obstacle is that i imagine a lot of people who work in these trades really would much prefer to work somewhere else i mean the documentary said that didn't it like all three of them ended up working in this environment they didn't want to it wasn't their first choice they just wanted to take some work or i mean the one guy uh, doug i think his name was thought he was going to be given a placement working in animal husbandry yes uh, looking after animals and then then they say oh no 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 you'll be killing them so people don't want to be in these jobs by and large i think and so admitting that on camera when you are still working in that trade would probably be a, a bit much but you get the point of it yeah I'm, I'm making in terms of like it, 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 it i wonder whether it still kind of vilifies people who work in slaughterhouses who are not yet vegan and would if you're an ex-employee let's say but you're not vegan would you risk yourself putting your face to a documentary yeah yeah so people can recognize you so you can walk on the street and people could say you are the one that appeared on that documentary because let's face it the human beings we are this way you know yeah so i think i do understand why all three interviewees are vegan yes although it would have been nice to see and understand the perspective of someone that might not be vegan but to understand what are the issues their experiences how how they see this world how traumatizing or not this has been for them yeah yeah absolutely and one thing that i would like to say if you don't mind is i i felt i didn't know that there were so many injuries in in mm. in slaughterhouses i mean when you think about it you yes of course animals are not there because they want and they fear for their life they'll do whatever it takes to escape and obviously they know why they're there or most of them know they even say it they know why they're there so welfare despite welfare which is meant to protect workers more than look after animals the amount of people that have injuries even one of the one of them said that um, had stabbed himself or herself with a knife by accident i was surprised about the level of accidents and even people with mental health issues commit committing suicide or attempting to commit suicide yeah if and i'm glad you brought that up i mean if i can answer your first point i mean it it, it surprised me how many accidents there were too when you hear it, you kind of logically understand, well, actually, the whole point of these buildings is to end millions of lives. So there's going to be dangerous stuff in there. But yeah, like it's 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 ending or, or, or harming even more people than it's intending to, which is even more barbaric, isn't it? The point about suicide, that was my one criticism of this that I would say. I think clearly people have a crappy time working in in these places the one guy mentioned how he he felt his alcoholism was was attributed to it 
But there was an anecdote that was told about somebody who ended their life. And for me, it wasn't made clear that that was to do with or related to the fact that they worked in a slaughterhouse. And I felt like that was a bit clunky. It was a bit lazy. It was a bit disingenuous. There was something about it that really wasn't right. And I, for me, I would have either completely, <laughs> please don't get me wrong, I could never produce a film half as good as they have done here. So I'm not saying I'm better at it, but I would have liked to see that clip either completely removed because I don't think it was to do with animal rights or working in the slaughterhouse or more context given because won't go into it now, but the, the story that was given didn't seem to relate to someone ending their life because they were working in a slaughterhouse. It was just a, one of my colleagues ended his life and, and the story didn't seem to relate to it. And I feel like, to some people, to, to, to some people watching this who are wanting to catch out the film, who are wanting to say it's not as bad as you're making out or these places have to exist or, or someone who's basically an apologist for slaughterhouses, I think they would look at that anecdote and say, you've included that to try and make it look really bad. And actually that person, as regrettable it is that they ended their life, they're not ending their life because they work in a slaughterhouse. They're ending their life because they proposed to their girlfriend and their girlfriend said no. And that's you're manipulating a tragic event there for the sake of veganism. So I would have either added more context or remove it. I don't know if you had that thought, Rich. I had a bit different thought. I thought the stress that the slaughterhouse induced to that person day after day after day was the process while the fact that the girl did not want to marry him was the event. And that was the final trigger. That's, that's how I understood it. Yeah, we're both inferring that, though. Like, that's that's not... We don't know that that's a fact. And I think because it's such an emotive thing, I don't, I don't think it should be up to a film to kind of, like, vaguely imply that. I don't even think it implied it. I think you and I have both inferred that. But there's nothing that says, yeah. oh, he was being ground down day after day in the slaughterhouse. And then, you know, the only light in his life was his girlfriend. And he like none of that was said. That, that's that's my critique of it. It's it's like you either need to give that context or remove the anecdote because it's not relevant. And um, I've got to say it's that it's the best animal rights related veganism related documentary I've seen in many, many years. And I think it will touch people that that most documentaries don't or that some documentaries don't however i i really wish that that part wasn't wasn't in it so that's the only kind of caveat i would give to someone if i were recommending it i mean maybe that's something for us to kind of end the discussion on like would you recommend this to other people i would recommend this to other people i think what this documentary and film is capable of synthesizing in 20 minutes is remarkable because it touches five different areas. It does it in a very consistent way. It's a very immersing 20-minute documentary where you feel the emotions of those people. And it's nothing like it. I mean, we've all seen images of, of slaughterhouses, or many of them, I should say. And why that's bad for the animals... While this still says this is still very bad for the animals, but if we take into consideration human beings, you are doubling your damage. You're, you're damaging the animals and the people that work there. So definitely recommend. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I, I certainly would. I mean, that 
the point you make about how impactful it is in just 20 minutes, I think is a really important thing that I would mention with a recommendation because I watched it at about 10 o'clock last night and I wish I hadn't. I wish I'd given a lot more time to it because actually, you know, I kind of watched it and then went to bed and not not to be too trite, like it, it didn't give me nightmares, but it certainly wasn't the last thing that I wanted to do before I went to bed. So I kind of wished I'd given a bit more space afterwards to kind of like properly digest it and, you know, discuss it with my partner and, and, and stuff like that. But yeah, I definitely would because I can be a bit of a defensive person. I probably would mention the little anecdote of, uh, about the person ending their life and say that's the one thing I didn't think was brilliant but everything else I think you'd really enjoy and I think do you know what it said to me we we, we spoke a few weeks ago it was the episode with uh, with Tom and Kirsch episode six we were discussing like should people be shown explicit content graphic content about how animals are killed my goodness this documentary shows you you do not need to show people what happens like words alone and the testimony of people who have been there and experienced it day after day, that is plenty powerful enough. There's a few still images, aren't there, and uh, that are really powerful. And there's a, f- a couple of bits of video footage that, that don't show an animal being killed, but they show like the moment just before um, or a struggle of an animal that doesn't want to be there. And my goodness, that is impactful. Really grateful the film's been made, and I'd, I think I'd recommend it almost wholesale really I, I can't imagine a situation where i wouldn't recommend it there probably are but um yeah 95 percent of people i think i'd i'd recommend it to i'll let you know because i'm thinking this year instead of sending christmas cards to people i'll just send them the link and probably i'll opt to do it in christmas eve you know <laughs> this is my present for you this is my link to you honestly why not um it's a good present when when you find compassion in people it 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 doesn't really matter when so i think when people should be more compassionate this christmas we should look after more after each other we we are more emotional so i think in my view i will send that to all my friends everyone i know christmas eve yeah (laughs) okay well do you know what i i feel like that should be our discussion topic next week on why you think that's a good idea and why personally I would suggest doing it maybe a slightly different day of the year. Um, but I, I certain I, I agree with it. You do it Christmas day. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. No, I, I agree with your sentiment. Like compassion is a gift, like un, unveiling that compassion and, and seeing the world in a new brighter way is a fantastic gift and a fantastic thing to go through. And I'd certainly recommend the documentary. So yeah, absolutely. It's um and re- really grateful that that this has been produced and and shared for free as well. I mean that's that's worth stressing as well. It's free. It's open access. Like fantastic stuff. Let's let's leave things there, shall we? So as usual, a, a question to all of you listening: like, what are your thoughts on this? Have you seen the documentary thus far? If if you haven't, maybe that's a conscious decision is there a reason why you wouldn't want to want to look at this and indeed if you have what were your thoughts on it um are there critiques that we're being harsh on are there things that we've missed or indeed what particularly resonated with you enough of the falafel at gmail.com is the place to send your thoughts questions comments or concerns regarding any of the news stories or anything else we've covered in this week's episode or especially nowhere to run this 20 minute short film released this week by earthling ed and surge activism. 
We're almost at the end of the episode now. Thanks for being here and sharing your thoughts with us, Anthony. And thanks for all of our listeners, because this wouldn't be possible without you. Thanks for your support and thanks for being here. One more episode. Absolutely. Yeah, we're up to double figures now. Episode 10. Who thought it? Who thought it? We've got some really exciting developments over the next month or two with enough of the falafel, which we'll keep you up to date with. And remember, I'm just going to do another little plug for that book by Dr. Steve Cook. It's available. Link in the show notes. It's 8 99 fundamental book on animal rights give it give it a read why not why not anyway that's enough of the falafel from us for this week thank you everyone for listening i've been anthony i've been richard and this has been episode 10 of vegan week